right, let's open our Bibles now to Genesis chapter 22. Genesis chapter 22. And it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham and said unto him, Abraham, and he said, Behold, here I am. And he said, Take now thy son, thine only son, Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains which I will tell thee of. And Abraham rose up early in the morning, and saddled his ass, and took two of his young men with him, and Isaac his son, and clave the wood for the burnt offering, and rose up and went unto the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day Abraham lifted up his eyes, and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said unto his young men, Abide ye here with the ass, and I and the lad will go yonder and worship, and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering, and laid it upon Isaac his son. He took the fire in his hand, and a knife, and they went both of them together. And Isaac spake unto Abraham his father, and said, My father, and he said, Here am I, my son. And he said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where's the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. So they went both of them together. And they came to the place which God had told him of, and Abraham built an altar there, and laid the wood in order, and bound Isaac his son, and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched forth his hand, and took the knife to slay his son. And the angel of the Lord called unto him out of heaven, and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here am I. And he said, Lay not thine hand upon the lad, neither do thou anything unto him. For now I know that thou fearest God, seeing thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, behind him a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the stead of his son. And Abraham called the name of that place Jehovah-Jireh, as it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord it shall be seen. And we'll end our reading there. Let's bow before our Lord together. Our Father, we bow before you this evening. We bow reverently and we carefully come into the presence of the thrice holy God, daring only coming before you, pleading the person of our Lord Jesus Christ, pleading his obedience as our only righteousness, pleading his blood as the only cleansing we have, the only reason we have that our sin would be forgiven pleading his person, his, his perfection, knowing that we could only be accepted in the beloved. But Father, how thankful we are, you've told us in your word, that you do accept your people in your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we're so thankful, so thankful that you have provided the way that sinful men and women such as we are can be accepted in your sight, that we can call the God of heaven and earth, our Father, and come before you in worship. Father, we're thankful. We pray this evening that you would
Enable us to worship you in spirit and in truth. That you would enable the name of Christ our Savior to be exalted. And Father, let each heart here this evening see him with the eye of faith and believe on him and rest on him. Rejoice in him. Rejoice in Christ our substitute as Abraham and Isaac rejoiced as they came back down the mountain having seen the substitute die in Isaac's place so that he could live. Father, bless us, we pray. Father, we're thankful for how abundantly, how richly you've blessed us. And we dare not forget to pray for those, Father, that you've brought into the time of trial and trouble. There's there's so many. Father, we pray that you'd be with them. We pray that you'd comfort their hearts with your presence. We pray that you'd heal that you comfort, that you deliver. Above all, Father, we pray you give your people a fulfillment of your promise, that your grace is sufficient, that you'll not leave nor forsake your people. Now, Father, all these things we ask in that name which is above every name, the name of Christ our Savior. Amen. All right, I've titled the message this evening, Where's the Lamb? Now, uh, I would have to say, I don't know if I'm supposed to have a favorite, but I would have to say that our text tonight is my favorite Old Testament picture of Christ because it's so clear. You know, I need things to be clear. This this text tonight says forth so clearly the salvation of God's elect comes through the death of the substitute. The only way any of us could live is if Christ the substitute dies in our place. It's really impossible to miss Christ in this text unless you just simply don't want to see him. You know, after last Wednesday's message, Isaac told me and I read the text and he thought, well, I know Christ is there, but I don't see him. Well, where Isaac, we see him here. I mean, this is just so clear. You can't miss it. And you know, like Brother Henry told us so often, the Old Testament scriptures are bifocal. You know, when, when we look at uh, the Old Testament types and pictures, Many times there is a practical application that will help the believer in our life here below. And always, always, there's always a picture of redemption in Christ our Savior. And our passage tonight, obviously, is one of those bifocal scriptures. So I'd like to begin with the application that's helpful for our, our life, the believer's life here below. How, how to walk through this life here below. It's, it's applicable to many who are here, many of our loved ones right now, and I, I hope it will be a blessing to you. There is a lesson here about the believer's trial, the, the trial of our faith. Verse 1, it came to pass after these things, after everything that happened that God had ordained to happen, and God's purpose at God's set time, that God did tempt. He tried Abraham. and said unto him, Abraham, and he said, Behold, here I am, and he said, Take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains which I'll tell thee of. And Abraham rose up early in the morning, and saddled his ass, and took two of his young men with him, and Isaac his son, and clave the wood for the burnt offering, and rose up and went unto the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place afar off. Now, God-given faith will always be tried. 
You know, our faith has to be tried. It has to be tried to make it stronger. It has to be tried to make it more beautiful by burning off the dross of this flesh. God doesn't send trials to hurt us, to hurt his children. God sends trials for this reason, to teach us to trust Christ more fully and to lean on the arm of the flesh less and less and less. You know, the weaker that we see ourselves, the stronger our faith will be. Because the weaker we see ourselves, the more we'll depend upon Christ. Now this has been happening to Abraham from the moment God first called him. Remember, God first appeared unto Abraham and said, Get out of your father's house. Go to a land that I'll show you. And ever since then, God has been trying Abraham, hasn't he? The Jews say Abraham had ten great trials. And I would, would venture to say he had more than that. From the time God called him until this moment in Genesis chapter 2, God's been trying Abraham. And God had reserved the hardest trial for, for the last, for the end. Now, I don't want to pass over this. You and I cannot really imagine how horrible this trial was for Abraham. When our daughter Holly was first born, I thought not long after about this text, and I thought about that. I thought about taking that precious baby and killing her, slitting her throat, quartering her body, and burning her body with fire. Shauna, I got physically sick, was sick the whole rest of the day. And that was just trying to imagine it. Abraham lived this for three days, walking to the place where he intended to kill his son, where he would slit his throat and watch the blood of that precious promised son bleed out. He'd cut his body in quarters and burn it to ash. Now think about Abraham. He'd already sent Ishmael away. Abraham loved Ishmael. This was a hard thing for Abraham to do, send Ishmael away. And the Lord calls Isaac your only son. He thinks sending Ishmael away is hard enough. Now I've got to kill my only son. Not only does he have to watch Isaac die, he's got to do it. He's got to die by Abraham's hand. And for three days, I would just imagine, it crossed Abraham's mind to think, am I really going to do this? Am I really going to kill my son? Now, how am I going to explain this to Sarah? How am I going to explain this to these heathen around here who, who sacrificed their children? How am I going to explain? There's a difference here in the way I worship God and this idolatry. How am I going to explain this? But with all that that had to be going through his mind, Abraham was immediately obedient and started walking. And he had every intent Killing at his son. He had every intent. There in verse 10, Abraham stretched forth his hand, took the knife to slay his son. Abraham meant business here. He was going to obey God. And every parent here wonders this. Would I have done it? Well, I've done what Abraham did. And we probably think, I don't think I would. I don't think I could do that. But you know what enabled Abraham to go through this trial obediently it's not that he's superhuman he's different from you and me 
I'll tell you what enabled Abraham to go through this trial obediently. He believed God. Look at Hebrews chapter 11. I'll show you that. Hebrews chapter 11. The thing that enabled Abraham to go through this trial obediently with some comfort in his heart was he believed the word of God. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 17. By faith Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac. And he that had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said that in Isaac shall thy seed be called. Accounting that God was able to raise him up even from the dead. From whence also he received him in a figure. Now you remember a few times God told Abraham. He spoke audibly to Abraham and told him the Messiah is going to come through your son. You're going to have a son. Sarah's going to give you a son in your old age and the Messiah is coming through him. People from all over the world are going to be blessed in him, in, in his seed. And Abraham believed God. He believed he'd have a son, and sure enough, he did. And he believed that the Messiah is coming through this son. And Abraham believed absolutely nothing is going to stop God from keeping his promise. Absolutely nothing, because God can't lie. Abraham believed if he killed Isaac, God would go to the extreme of raising him from the dead. Because God's going to keep his promise. The Messiah is going to come through Isaac. And that's the only thing that let Abraham go through this with any obedience and any calmness of heart. He believed the word of God. Now there's a good lesson here for you and me we can take home with us. When we go through times of trial on our own. At the appointed time, when it comes to pass after these things, that the Lord sends us a trial, I'm telling you, we'll know more peace of heart, we'll experience more comfort of heart if we trust God's word and we believe God's promises. If I think more on God's word and I think more on all of God's precious promises to his people and I think less upon my circumstances, <laughs> the more peace of heart I'll have in times of trial. See, true faith, just like Abraham's faith here, true faith, the faith of every believer, is not based on our feelings. It's not based upon our circumstances. It's based upon the Word of God, isn't it? And the more often that we're tried, and the more often we see, indeed, God is true to His Word. God keeps His promise. The more I'm tried, and the more, I, the more God comes to me and keeps His promises, the more I'm going to learn to trust Him. The more I'm tried, and the more God is true to His Word, the more I'll believe the Word of God. And you know the Lord also tries our faith to prove to us, not prove to Him, not prove to other people, but to prove to us that our faith is genuine saving faith. That's what James meant, that passage I read to open the service. This is what he meant when he wrote about this trial of Abraham. James said Abraham was justified by works. Now you, you You've got to look at that statement in context of what James is writing there. You know good and well that, uh, that Abraham was not made sinless, not made without sin by his own works. Christ did that for him, didn't he? No, he, he doesn't mean Abraham was justified before God by his works. What he means is this, Abraham's faith was justified 
in this trial. When Abraham obeyed God, his faith was proven to be genuine faith. And he acted on what he believed. See, Abraham did what he did because he believed the word of God. Now, the same thing's true when the Lord tries you and me. When the Lord tries us. And we continue trusting Christ. And we don't quit. What you know it's proven? To us, our faith in Christ is genuine, saving faith. That's the result of the trial, isn't it? Now, even when the trial's over, I don't think anybody can honestly say, I'm glad for the pain that I suffered in the trial. What I'm thankful for, what makes me glad, is the result of the trial. That God's proven to me. My faith in Christ is genuine. But our faith has got to be tried before we know if it is or not. It's just like somebody building a ship. Well, it looks good there on the dry dock, don't it? Is it going to float? One way to find out. Push it out there in deep water. That's how we're going to find out. And when God does that with us, and brings us into those deep waters, this is when we find out our faith is genuine. Now that's a good lesson for us, isn't it? But the most significant teaching of this, um, our text this evening, is the picture of Christ we have. God's people live because Christ the substitute died in our place. I love what Walter Groover said about this passage. He said, if a man can't preach Christ from Genesis chapter 22, he needs to find something else to do. (laughs) Because it's just so obvious. Now you remember when the Lord told the Pharisees, Abraham saw my day and was glad. They said, well, you've seen Abraham? You're not yet 50 years old. Well, the day the Lord was talking about is this day. Genesis chapter 22. By faith, the Lord enabled Abraham to see past his son, Isaac. And he saw the picture. He saw the meaning of what was going on here. The salvation of God's elect is going to come through the Messiah. It's coming through Isaac. And they're going to be saved because that Messiah is going to die as a substitute. He's going to die in the place of his people. Christ the Savior, who's coming through Isaac, and Isaac shall thy seed be called, he's going to die so that his people will live. Abraham saw that. God enabled him to see that. And all that made that made Abraham glad. Now I had no doubt in my mind. Abraham was glad he did not have to kill his son. He did not have to burn his body. Abraham was real glad about that. Isaac was real glad about that. I mean, Isaac, they're bound to the wood. God says stop, and they see the ram over here caught in a thicket. Abraham takes his son off that wood and puts that ram on the wood in his place. And Isaac watches the the lifeblood of that ram come out. Abraham slit his throat. He watched that body, that ram burn. And he said, "That, that, that was me. The only reason I'm living is that ram died in my place. He got it. Oh, he was glad. I don't think Abraham's all that surprised somehow that, you know, because in in verse 5, he he tells his young man, he said, you abide here with with the ass. I and the lad will go yonder and worship. And we're coming again to you. So I don't think he was necessarily all that surprised, but he sure was glad. What father wouldn't be? But I tell you what made Abraham truly glad. The Lord showed him 
how God is going to save sinners in both mercy and truth, in both grace and justice. It's going to come through the sacrifice of God's Son. God's going to sacrifice His beloved Son as a substitute for His people so His people will live. Now that truth is so amazing. It makes everybody who believes it glad. Now I want to preach the rest of this in such a way that all of us will leave here glad tonight. I'm going to give you a few facets of this picture. I remember I was at uh, Gettysburg one time. And if you all been there, that humongous picture somebody's painted the, of the, the battle, you know. And somebody's standing there saying, let me... Let me show you some things in this picture. Let me show you some things that stick out. Well, we can't exhaust this picture. Just let me show you a few things here that stick out from this picture. Number one is this. Salvation through the death of Christ our substitute. That's the doing of God the Father. Now who told Abraham to do this? This wasn't something Abraham cooked up. The Lord told him to do it. And the Lord told him to do it as a picture. The father determining to sacrifice his son in order to save his people from their sin. See, this is the purpose of the father. And when it came time for his son to be put to death, for him to be sacrificed, the father's the one that did it. Look at verse 6. Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it upon Isaac his son. And he took the fire in his hand and a knife. And they went both of them together. Abraham took the fire and the knife because Abraham's the one that's going to carry this thing out. He's going to do it as a picture of God the Father. The fire, that's a picture of God's wrath against sin. And at Calvary, the Father poured out all of his fiery wrath against sin upon his son. And he poured that wrath out upon his son. That fire kept burning until sin was gone. The sacrifice of Christ is the only sacrifice that consumed the fire. Every other sacrifice, the fire consumed the sacrifice and turned it to ash. Christ, the Lamb of God, when He was sacrificed, He consumed the fire. He suffered until sin was gone. And the knife, that's a picture of God's justice. See, God's justice was satisfied at Calvary because the Father Himself plunge the sword of justice into the heart of his fellow. All of the cross is an act of God. Don't let anybody ever fool you on that now. I know men did what they everything that they wanted to do, but all they were were instruments in the hand of God so that God's will would be done and God's justice would be satisfied when the Father slaughtered his beloved Son as a substitute for his people. And then there's Isaac. They're going up, the, the father, he's got the knife in the fire. And Isaac carrying the wood on his back. Now that's an obvious picture, isn't it? The Lord Jesus carrying the, that wooden cross on his lacerated back. But now it's more than that. It's more than just predicting that the Savior would carry that wooden cross. When the Lord Jesus, when they put that cross upon his back and he carried it, you know what he was showing us? He's bearing the curse of sin. For his people. The cross. Death on the cross. Shows there's a curse of sin. Cursed be everyone that hangeth upon a tree. He carried that cross. 
showing us he's, he's bearing the, the curse of sin away from his people. So they'll never have to bear it. Now you think of that. God sacrificing his son in your place. Him being made sin for you. And bearing the curse of sin away from you forever. Oh, that makes me glad. Does that make you glad? Then here's the second thing. Salvation through the death of Christ was effectual. And that word simply means this. It got the job done. When Christ died, he accomplished everything he intended to accomplish. And the proof that the death of Christ our Savior put away the sin of his people, made them righteous, is his resurrection again on the third day. It's no uh, accident Abraham had to walk for three days to get to Mount Moriah, was it? And we read there in Hebrews, from whence he received him from the dead in a picture. That's a picture of the resurrection of Christ. God's son's going to die as a substitute for his people, but now he's not going to stay dead. He's going to be raised again the third day. The Lord told his disciples, I'm going to rise again the third day. And how weak our faith is when somebody came and told him three days after he died, you know, the Lord's risen. They said, no, he's not. Oh, my. Well, the Savior, he was indeed delivered unto death for the transgression of his people. And he is raised the third day, not as a party trick, but to give us proof positive, his sacrifice eternally justified his people. His sacrifice took the sin of his people away and made them without sin. Oh, that makes me glad. Does that make you glad? Oh, to be without sin. Then here's the third thing. Man can only worship God through the sacrifice of Christ. In verse 5, Abraham said unto his young men, Abide ye here with the ass, I and the lad will go yonder and worship. We're going to go worship and then we're going to return again unto you. This is what Abraham and Isaac knew. If you're going to worship God, there's got to be a blood sacrifice. There must be blood for sin. Which is why in just a little bit, Isaac's going to ask, where's the lamb? There's fire, there's wood, there's a knife, but there's, there's nothing with any blood in it. Where's the lamb? There's got to be a blood sacrifice for us to worship God. And Abraham was going to that mountain to worship. He's going to worship through a blood sacrifice that God had required. And he knew that worship would be accepted. That's why he told those young men, we're coming back. We're coming back because God's going to accept our worship. Abraham fully intended to kill his son and sacrifice his body. But he also knew this, God's going to keep his promise. The Messiah is going to come through this son, so he's going to raise him from the dead. After this blood sacrifice, and we worship God through the blood, He's going to raise his son and we're going to come back down together. We're going to come back down this mountain together because our worship's been accepted. You know, the high priest went into the Holy of Holies on the Day of Atonement. Why didn't they drag him out dead? He went in with the blood. There's got to be blood. if God's going to be worshipped. And if you and I would worship God today, we're going to worship God in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not going to be by animal blood. We're not going to be sacrificing animals and things. It's through the blood of Christ's sacrifice. Looking to His blood by faith. 
It's all I need. The blood of Christ is all I need to stand perfect before God. To have my sin debt put away, paid in full. Now you think of that. Almighty God accepts common, ordinary people like you and me. Here we are, this little old building out in the country. Just You know, ain't many of us here, you know, and you consider how many people are in the whole, whole wide world, how many people in this area, just little old us here. We're just not much. And God accepts us. He accepts our worship. Our fumblings and bumblings and... I'm going to try my best to go home glad tonight. Glad in Christ our Savior. But I promise you before I go to bed, I'm going to think of something I said. "Mm." I wish I could say that different. That just wasn't enough to glorify God the way He ought to be glorified. And that weak worship is accepted in the blood of Christ our Savior. Now, our worship is accepted in the blood of Christ alone. It's not our works. It's not our works plus Christ. It's not our orthodoxy plus Christ. It's not our good intentions plus Christ. Our worship is accepted in the blood of Christ alone. Now, I love this passage because it's so clear and simple. Knowing that all I need to worship God is the blood of Christ. Now, that's simple. I just need one thing. just need to look to one person, one place. That makes me glad. It's easy for me to get confused if i got to look two things. But just one. God let me look out. It's simple, isn't it? That makes me glad. Now here's the fourth thing. This is very important. Before God can save a sinner, God's got to do something for Himself. See, God can't save a sinner at the expense of His holiness and the expense of His justice. God's holy law and God's justice must be satisfied. Well, fallen man can never do that. So God's going to have to be the one to do it. Verse 7. And Isaac spake unto Abraham his father and said, My father, and he said, Here am I, my son. And he said, Behold the fire and the wood. But where's the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. So they went both of them together. See, there's got to be a lamb. For that ceremonial sacrifice, there's got to be a lamb. There has to be a lamb who's a picture of Christ. A picture of Christ, the lamb of God. But now in order for sin to be put away, now we have all these rivers of blood from the bulls and the goats and the rams and the and the sheep and the oxen and the turtle does. If all this blood, animal blood. But in order for sin to really be put away, it can't be animal blood. The blood of an animal cannot pay for the sin of a man. We have a different nature. In order for sin to be put away, see, the blood of bulls and goats could never take away sins. That's why Christ had to come. The sacrifice requires a perfect man. So you and I are men, men and women. We're, we're the, the nature of man. Somebody with the nature of a man who's perfect has to offer the sacrifice for our sin. There has to be a man with sinless blood who sacrificed 
like all those lambs of old were. So if the sin of God's elect is going to be put away, you and I can't provide a lamb like that. We can't provide a perfect man. So God's going to have to do it for him. So first, God must provide a lamb for himself. God must provide a lamb that will satisfy his justice, that will satisfy his holiness, that will put sin away in truth. And since we can't do it, God's going to have to be the one to provide him. And that's just what the Father did. That is the very reason the Father sent His Son into this world. Born as a baby. He didn't come to this world as a full grown man because you and I didn't come to this world full grown, did we? We came as babies. That's the way Christ came. He grew into a full grown man because that's the way we... He came in our nature so He could be the substitute for His people. And the Lord Jesus Christ is the perfect man. His obedience and His sacrifice satisfied His Father. That's why when His public ministry began, John the Baptist, how did He identify Him? Behold. Now you look to Him. You wonder where the Lamb is? Behold, let me tell you. Here He is. The Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. The Lord Jesus Christ is the only sacrifice who satisfies the Father. And the Father provided Him. Second, God must provide Himself as the lamb. A man can't be perfect. We can't, we can't be perfect. We can't satisfy God. So in a wonder. I mean a wonder. That none of us can understand really. Almighty God. Became a man. So he could be the perfect lamb. Who would put away the sin of his people. And like I say. Since he's God. He's, he's God and man. He's satisfied his Father. He satisfied everything a holy God would require. His sacrifice, I love this, satisfies both God and the sinner. Can you think of anything more opposite than God and the sinner? I can't. And the sacrifice of Christ satisfies both those two opposites. His holiness, His righteousness, His blood, His death, all satisfied the Father. And His sacrifice Satisfy sinners too. Sinners look to Him and we see He's all I need. I just depend on Him for all of the salvation of my souls. I know I can depend on Him because God provided Him. God's not going to provide somebody that's going to fail. Now what a wonder that God, who's the offended party, God who we've sinned against, He's the one who provided the sacrifice to put the sin of His people away. Sin that was against him, God provided himself as a lamb to pay for it. Oh my. That makes me glad that somebody as wonderful as the Son of God would do something so wonderful for a wretch like me. Oh, that makes me glad. Then fifthly, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, is the willing sacrifice. Verse 9 says, And they came to the place which God had told him of. And Abraham built an altar there, and laid the wood in order, and bound Isaac his son, and laid him on the altar upon the wood. Now from what I gather, Abraham's about 120 years old here. It really amazes me. He can walk for three days, doesn't you? There's not a way in this world, Abraham, take his son, about 20 years old, and bind him, and put him on that altar against his will. No way he could do it. No way. 
Isaac was willing. Or this never would have happened. The father and the son, they must have had a conversation about this. And and Abraham told him, son, I don't know exactly how God's going to do it. God's going to keep his word. He said the Messiah is coming through you. Somehow God's going to keep his promise even if I sacrifice you on this altar. This is the way we're going to worship God. And Isaac was willing. He's willing. Well, all of that is a picture of Christ our Savior. He willingly went to the cross. And you know why he went so willingly to the cross? He could have run, couldn't he? When those, those, all those people came out to him and said, he said, whom seek ye? They said, Jesus of Nazareth. He said, I am. They all fell down backwards, flat on their back. He could have walked away if he had wanted to, but he didn't. He said, let these go. I'll go willingly. I'll go in their place. You know why he went so willingly? Well, first of all, because he loves his father. He loves his father. And he was determined. He set his face like a flint to go to Jerusalem because he was determined to glorify his father. That's what he said in his great high priestly prayer. Glorify thy son, that thy son also may glorify thee. That's what he was concerned about because he loves his father. Secondly, he was willing because the Son of God keeps his promises. In the covenant of grace, the Father and the Son entered into agreement. The Father chose the people, gave them to his Son to save. And his Son promised, Father, I'll save them. I'll save them by my obedience and by my sacrifice for their sin. I'll shed my, my, my blood to blot out their sin. He promised his Father he'd do it. So he went willingly. And thirdly, he went to the cross willingly. Get hold of your seat here. Because he loves his people. He loves his people. He loved a sinful, wretched, vile people. He loved them so much, he willingly went to the cross. He was willingly made sin for her. He willingly took their sin into his own body upon the tree. And suffered everything that sin deserves. Because he loves his people. The only way they can be redeemed. Is if he sacrificed for them. And he willingly was sacrificed for them. See Christ our Savior. Kept his promise. Promise of redemption. At great expense. To himself didn't he? Now you think of. Every other promise in God's word. Think of. Is God going to break one of those promises after he kept this promise of redemption? No, sir. He's going to keep every promise he's ever made his people. I'll go back to what I said earlier. When we find ourselves in the time of trouble, you just hang on to that for all your worth. God's going to keep his promise. That makes me glad. Not only... Did he offer the sacrifice to put away the sin of his people? He promised to perfect it, and he's going to do it. He's going to bring all of his people to be with him where he is, that we may behold his glory. No more by faith, but face to face. That makes me glad. Then here's the last thing. There is eternal life for all of God's elect because Christ died in our place. Verse 10 
And Abraham stretched forth his hand and took the knife to slay his son. And the angel of the Lord called unto him out of heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here am I. And he said, Lay not thine hand upon the lad, neither do thou anything unto him, for now I know that thou fearest God, seeing thou hast not withheld thy son, thy only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the stead of his son. And Abraham called the name of that place Jehovah-Jireh. As it said to this day, in the mount of the Lord, it shall be seen. Now right as Abraham was getting ready to plunge that knife into the heart of his son, the Lord stopped him. Well now, Isaac quits being a picture of Christ. Now Isaac becomes a picture of you and me. A picture of all the the elect people that God intended to save. And now the ram becomes a picture of Christ. And like I said a little bit ago, Isaac lived only because that ram died in his place. (laughs) That substitution and satisfaction. There's a substitute that satisfied God. There must be bloodshed. There must be a sacrifice on this mountain today. Well, there was, wasn't there? The sacrifice of the ram. So that Isaac could live. But notice this. I touched on this a minute ago. The ram was caught by his horns. Now why is that significant? The horn of a ram is his power. The ram was caught by his power. Our Lord was not forced to go to the cross. Against his will. No he was caught. He was constrained. To go to the cross. By his power to save. See, he loved his bride. It was his intention to see her redeemed. But the only way she could be redeemed is if he died in his place. He was constrained by his power to save, to go to the cross. It wasn't nails that held him to the cross. It was his own power, his power to save that that kept him to the cross till the sin of his people was put away. And the thicket that ram was caught in, don't miss this, was a thorn bush. Thorns in scripture represent the curse of sin. Thorns only started growing after Adam sinned. The ram caught by his power to save in those thorns is a picture of Christ bearing the curse of sin away from his people forever. The Lord Jesus only had the power to put away the sin of his people. So he sacrificed himself. Now, what a savior with power with love, with compassion, with with honesty, that he keeps his word, he cannot lie. What a Savior. Well, it makes me glad to, to trust him. God wrote a book to tell us about his son and said, now trust him. What a Savior. I'm telling you, that makes me glad. I wouldn't find much reason to be glad if I had to trust him myself. Oh, but trusting in Christ. That makes me glad. Now let me give you this in in closing. Verse 7, Isaac asked, he said, here's the fire and the wood, but where's the lamb? Where's the lamb? And this is a question I'd like all of us to ask ourselves. Where's the lamb? Where's the lamb for my sin? For the burnt offering for my sin? 
You hope the Lord would be pleased to reveal Christ to your heart. Christ, the Lamb of God. You will be saved. If the Spirit's ever pleased to reveal Christ to you, show you Christ, you will be saved. Because when you see Him, you can't help but believe Him. You just, you can't help it. He's so wonderful. You will be saved if the Holy Spirit reveals Christ to your heart. Then be a mighty good idea, I think, for us to ask, Lord, where's the Lamb? I know there's a Lamb. Where's the Lamb for my sin? Where's the Lamb for the burnt offering that will put my sin away? Lord, would you reveal Christ to me? Would you reveal Christ to me? Cry to the Lord and beg Him. Lord, show me Christ. Show me the Lamb. Where's the Lamb? And don't stop begging. Don't stop begging. Until the Lord's pleased to show you His Son. Because when He does, you'll believe. And we got some young folks here tonight. Let me give you a piece of advice. As you grow up, you're in college, you got friends, you go to whatever different places. You may go hear some other, other people preach in other places that are not um, where your parents would attend. For whatever reason, you go there. And you're going to hear things that, that, that sound different. Sound different what your pastor preaches to you. And if somebody's preaching something like that to you, here's what, here's what I want you to ask. In your mind, ask this about the message that you're hearing. Where's the lamb? See, if that message is you got to do this and you got to do this and you got to do this and you can't do this and you can't do that and you can't do that, where's the lamb? Where's the blood? Where's the blood that puts away my sin without any help from me? Where's the lamb that does all the saving for me? Because I can't do anything. Where's the lamb? Ask that about a man who preaches to you. Ask that. Where's the lamb? If he's not preaching the lamb, if his message is not pointing you to Christ, get away. Get away and find somebody who points you to the lamb. Because this is the question for our souls. Where's the lamb? Where's the lamb for my sin? And then after you've been believing God for a long time, like Abraham was here, and God brings you into a time of trouble and trial. And it's severe. And you think, I'm right there. It's all I can take. Not one more. I can't, I, you need comfort for your heart. Tell you, this is my advice. Go to the Lord in prayer and say, where's the land? Oh, Lord, Lord, would you reveal Christ to me again through the preaching of your word? Where's the lamb? I'm telling you, your heart will be comforted by seeing him. It really will. Your heart will be calmed. You'll find assurance for your soul because when you see Christ the Savior, you'll know this. He can't fail. He can't fail to save me. He can't fail to deliver me. He can't fail to glorify me. And he, his love can't quit. I'm not in this trial because God quit loving me. I'm not in this trial because Christ's love just wasn't enough you know, to, to, to see me through. He decided to be mean to me. He decided to be unloving to me. Now when you see Him, your heart will be comforted. His love didn't fail. He'll keep you. He'll keep you. See, there's a whole lot to this, isn't it? There's a whole lot of good to our souls in finding out 
Where's the lamb? Where's the lamb? It is my fervent prayer that all of us will leave here tonight glad because the Spirit showed us Christ the lamb. All right, let's bow together. Our Father, how we thank you for this clear declaration of Christ our Savior. Christ our substitute who died in the place of his people that we might live. Father, how we thank you. How we thank you for a Savior who completely atones for the sin of his people. Who saves them, who keeps them, and will one day glorify them when it's time. Father, I beg of you that you'd send your spirit and enable us to see Christ the lamb slain for our sin. The lamb slain is the burnt offering for my sin. And make our hearts glad to rejoice in trusting him and him alone. It is in his precious name, for his sake and his glory, we pray. Amen. All right, Sean.